Hi, welcome to Tab's Two Cents. Today on the show, we have Peter Sainsbury, and we're talking about carbon. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Tab's Two Cents, the show where we discuss multiple income streams and macro factors affecting the world today. Hey, Peter, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jay. Thanks for, thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course. Anytime. It's always a pleasure. I thought we would start this episode. I know you and I, we've discussed carbon a lot. Um, and if anybody's interested, they can check out those videos where we dive into it right away. But you're also an economist. And I thought we could just talk a little bit about the macro picture where you sort of see energy and especially European energy, because that's more, you know, it's obviously yeah. where you live, uh, where you see that going right now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I'm based in, in the UK, so I'm, you know, you know, very much seeing it from a from a perhaps a European perspective, uh, but you know, clearly, you know, going into you know winter, you know, last you know, back early twenty twenty two, you know, there was a real sort of fear that, uh, you know, there'd be a, a scarcity of you know energy, you know, prices were going you know, to record levels, you know, whether it's you know, power or or or, um, or gas, and uh, you know, there was a real you know real concern about uh, you know about in, industry shutting down. Uh, you know, a really sort of deep recession going into the into the winter, uh, and, and I think that's you know that's clearly affected you know lots of different asset prices in, in a consistent way, whether that's uh, whether that's carbon or um, or you know broadly on you know equity markets and, and elsewhere as well. But I think you know since since about sort of October November time, there's been a you know clearly been a sort of shift in the narrative uh, away from that sort of you know very grim outlook to a maybe a less a less grim um outlook for the future uh, and, and part of that was you know down to you know perhaps a, a warmer uh than expected autumn winter in europe which allowed us to uh, you know fill the our you know gas inventories back up to towards you know maximum levels much quicker than than many expected uh you know but there was other other things like you know lng imports and you know some uh, kind of energy efficiency that uh, that certainly helped, uh, but I, I think you know that it's that shift in narrative. I think that's been very important. That uh, you know I think I think has been reflected in lots of different asset prices, whether it's you know carbon or or other markets as well. Uh, and that's you know to the extent that the economy, at least up until now, has looked to be be better than what many expected. Uh, you know, here here in the UK, just speaking about UK specifically, it's the the outlook seems to be that we are perhaps the the sick man of Europe in many ways. You know, other parts of Europe seem to be doing or uh, you know doing lots lots better, and you know are likely to do much better in uh, over the next year or two as well. So you know, there's a difference in outlook, but you know, it's certainly concerning as well. Yeah, for sure. And just given all of the things that happened with natural gas, especially in energy prices, what has that done for the overall sentiment for net zero and renewables? Has it been a pro or a or a con in that direction? Yeah, I think I think certainly here in Europe, the the sentiment has been that it should be a driver towards you know accelerating that that process towards net zero. Uh, I know I know elsewhere in the world, you know, perhaps. You know, maybe North America in, in in many respects that it's seen as the opposite. You know that we should. Europe, Europe's gone too far, too fast towards uh, 
towards renewables, towards net zero, and that you know they've made a mistake in that respect. Uh, and I think I think you can argue both ways, but you know certainly the the view of of politicians, and I think it's broadly accepted by the uh, by citizens as well, is that you know the, the best way to reduce our reliance on on Russia, you know, Russian um, influence in terms of energy markets, is to, is to accelerate that process, not not to go back um, and go back towards fossil fuels, whichever that might be. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's does it seem are the politicians are they sort of pushing that as a energy security? Is that why they're going that way, or is it still carbon? Uh, I think it's you know that energy security narrative. You know that 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 wasn't really discussed before the Russian invasion, you know, to any great degree. Uh, but that's clearly you know the, the number one issue at the moment. But I think what was you know what many people thought was going to happen in the aftermath of that um, you know events about a year ago was that Europe would suddenly decide to abandon all its you know climate policies. And you know, double down on on energy security, uh, but that you know that hasn't happened. It's you know it hasn't abandoned those you know plans to uh, to meet net zero. You know, if if anything, it's actually you know accelerated that process. Process. Yeah, I agree. I I thought that perhaps they would sort of abandon, as you say, a lot of those policies, and or at and, least throw back on it. Yeah. Yeah, and we could end up you know in a place where they're not so focused on carbon and more focused on, you know, energy security, but it seems like mm. it's sort of shifted in a direction where they're doing both. Um, and yeah, so with that being said, we can move on to the European carbon market. I know you just came out with an article, 11 ways to gain exposure. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those and your your favorite ways that people can maybe gain exposure to the UAs and European carbon market. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this is um, yeah part of what I do at um, Carbon Risk is to you know try and help you know, investors navigate this these markets, you know, not just the European market but other other carbon markets as well. Uh, and you know, one of the questions I always get asked is you know how can I how can I invest in this market? You know, what what different ways are there to get exposure to it? Uh, and I think there's you know it's certainly grown a lot over the last um, you know year or two. You know, as it's become more accepted as a as an asset class in its own right or you know a way to diversify from other other markets uh and i think it, you know it, what you choose depends partly on where you are in the world you know not all these products are available everywhere um you know it depends on sort of tax implications and things like that but uh you know certainly for if you're based in north america then there's a you know the, the original and the biggest fund is the, the Crane Shares KRBN fund, which you know, invests invest in like a basket of different compliance markets. And I think around about sort of 60% of it is in the EU ETS, uh, with the rest mainly sort of uh, you know other North American markets, uh, the UK. Um, yeah, I think that's broadly broadly it. Uh, but if you just wanted a sort of direct exposure to the EU ETS. They Crane shares also do a um, an EUA fund, which is very small. So you've got there's some issues there. Uh, but I think the other sort of main way 
is to invest in um, there's a fund by a company called Spark Change, where you actually buy the physical certificate, if you like, uh, you know, the, the physical allowance. Uh, and that and that has some perhaps some advantages over you know in the in the in the futures market because it's uh you know these allowances are limited you know there's a, there's a scarcity uh, by actually buying a physical allowance you're actually removing that from the market which means the the obligated emitters that you know, need to purchase these allowances to uh, you know demonstrate that they've complied with the regulations you know, need to potentially bid more for that for that for those uh, for those allowances which so you're, you're indirectly contributing to that to that scarcity in the market uh, and then, yeah and I think there's you know, there's a few other interesting things there's a there's a um, kind of a, a kind of a sort of blockchain uh, you know investment vehicle that's launched recently uh, which it seems to be, I think it's just still early early days at the moment, but uh, that could that could be quite quite interesting. Uh, and then yeah, there's there's various other things depending on you know where you are in the world. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. The more that I dig into energy and net zero and policies, it seems like there's more promises every day, and a lot of you know the consensus around energy experts, let's say, is that these companies aren't going to be able to meet those um, promises. So the only way they're going to be able to do it, in my view, I think would be through carbon offsetting and carbon credits. So I think if you're, if you're bullish on the net zero, you know, idea, then these companies, you know, it's going to be really hard for them just based on the materials and energy input and, you know, workers and specialties and all these things that they need to switch to that you know lower carbon production yeah they're going to need the credits so um i noticed one thing think, that you said is that the uh the voluntary market is at the edge of the carbon market risk curve and i wonder i wonder if you could just elaborate on that a little bit we can move into the voluntary side yeah i think it's let's just take, take a step back first just to just so we're clear about the you know the difference between the you know the regulated compliance market which is mm -hmm. The EU ETS, which I, I was talking about, um, yeah, that's yeah, that like I said, that's, that's a regulated compliance market. It's it's um, you know, the EU market's been going for you know almost 20, 20 years. Uh, the, the the voluntary compliance market is where, say, a company like Microsoft wishes to meet its net zero commitments. Partly by reducing its own emissions, but partly also by buying carbon credits. So you know, need to keep that distinct from carbon allowances, which is what you get in the the regulated compliance markets. So with those uh, carbon credits, you know, as I said, yeah, yeah, in a recent article I described them as you know on the edge of the risk curve, and I think that's for a, for a very good reason is because. You know, there's there's a lot of uncertainty about how how they're going to work. You know, it's still a very nascent industry. Uh, you know, it's, it's only a, I think it's only a, sort of around about sort of two billion dollars traded last year 
versus something like $800 billion in terms of the, the compliance markets. So, you know, very different scales. But then having said that, you know, the, the, the voluntary market, the carbon credit market could grow massively over the next, you know, 10, 20 years, potentially up to, you know, 100 billion, even, you know, $500 billion. There's you know, massive potential for growth. But as I said, you know, it's got all these risks attached to it. You know, the, if you're buying a carbon offset uh, related to a, a forest in Indonesia or you know somewhere in somewhere in Africa or, or wherever, there's lots of issues related to the you know, the baseline at which it's measured against. You know, are these actually real emission reductions or, or removals from the atmosphere? Uh, you know, is the forest going to, you know, burn down or suffer some, um, uh, you know, due to some pest, you know, disease in the future, which isn't isn't accounted for? Uh, you know, another risk is that, you know, you might be protecting one region of the forest, but maybe all the loggers and all the, um, you know, illegal development just gets shifted to another region as well. So you're not actually solving a problem, you're just, you're just moving it to another place. So there's, you know, there's lots of risks attached to it, but I think, you know, that also comes with opportunity as well. And, you know, the, at the, at the moment, there's, you know, the sentiment to the sector is, is probably the lowest it's ever been. Uh, you know, partly that's due to these, you know, the, the sort of media, uh, articles about you know these risks that I was, I was talking about, and it, you know they're right to highlight them, but what we've got to be careful about is that we don't just you know abandon them just because there's there's a risk attached to it. You know we, we, we you know these are going to be essential to help meet you know both uh, com obligations by companies, but also you know government commitments in the future as well, uh, and so. Yeah, that's. I think the what we're going to see is you know, lots of innovation over the next few years about you know, how to price that risk, uh, and so that when companies and you know, and other stakeholders talk about you know we've invested X amount in a certain type of carbon credit, they can actually say you know it's got an expected return of so many tons of uh, emission abatement or emission removal. So there's lot, yeah, lots of opportunities in in the sector. And I think, you know, as I said, you know, sentiment's so poor at the moment that it's uh, it's looking quite an interesting opportunity from the upside. Yeah, for sure. And I know, especially here in North America, there aren't really a ton of people talking about <clears throat> carbon credits and the and carbon pricing. Wonder what's it like in Europe <laughs> if you you know out at the pub or whatever. Does that ever come up? Because here here it wouldn't for me. No, no, I, it's probably the same here. Really, is that you know, it's it's a you can think about it, the carbon market in different ways. You know, whether it's a type of commodity or a you know a currency, you know, some kind of asset. But I think it's it's still such a an early age, early stage in its development. But it's you know, it, over the next 10, 20 years, it's you know, the, the, it's so it's gonna be so scarce in terms of carbon credits and carbon allowances that it could become you know a, a fundamentally important 
um, you know, asset class in its own right that drives lots of other important decisions, you know, whether that's, you know, whether to, to invest in, uh, you know, every sector of the economy is going to be affected by what the carbon price is or what expectations of the future. So no, no, no one's really talking about it down the pub at the moment, but it's, I think it's, you know, it, 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 it that will change in, you know, over the next few years. Yeah, I agree. I think that because it's so early and it's, you know, kind of confusing as well, because, you know, you have your compliance yeah. market and then you have your voluntary and then you have all these different types of credits and different ages and vintages, as they say. So it can get very, you can get very in-depth with it, especially when you get into yeah. like double accounting and all these things that go on and it's just a very technical process. Mm-hmm. But I think that yeah. as we move forward and maybe, you know, some of these blockchain solutions will help in clarifying exactly what, you know, carbon is. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, I'm kind of flip-flopping back and forth a little bit, so I apologize to any listeners, but in the in the compliance market, EUAs, they're floating around uh, 89 euros at the moment. And this happened last year where our price rocketed up to, you know, mm-hmm. 90, 100, around January or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then it crashed in February mm-hmm. down into the 60s. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Are we still seeing some risk from the uh, market stability reserve? And where are we? Where do you kind of see that outlook going in the compliance markets? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think it, it's important to say that the, the compliance market, that the EU market in particular, you know, if, if Europe wasn't committed to that, it'd be very difficult for these other markets to develop. Uh, you know, including the carbon credit market as well. So it's it's almost like the bellwether price that affects you know sentiment throughout the whole whole of the sector. And um, so yeah, you're right. The you know this time last year, yeah, uh, the EUA price was around about you know about ninety euros a ton. And yeah, then we had the Russian invasion. You know, it collapsed to around about sixty five, maybe a bit, maybe a bit below that. And yeah, and since then we've had this, you know, lots of volatility over the past, you know, several months, but it's, you know, gradually sort of been traded in those sort of around about sort of the 75 to 85 euro per ton range, you know, broadly. Um, but yeah, as like that 12, uh, 12 months ago, we had this, you know, surge in prices and you know, part of that, I think, I think, you know, again, going back to October, November, sentiment was very poor. We had, you know, everyone's thinking there was a recession coming, which would be, you know, negative, you know, very negative for emissions, both from the power sector and uh, industrial sector. You know, that got, the outlook became less bad. So prices re- rebounded from that. And so that was one factor behind the, the surge in prices. But then we also had this, uh, you know, a, agreement in Europe on the, the Fit for 55 package, which is the the package of measures which uh, takes Europe, you know, further through this decade and helps it meet its, you know, net zero commitment. Uh, so part of that includes uh, an agreement on how the supply of allowances will gradually decline over the next um, over the next several years. 
so that's that was an important milestone uh the other important point was a uh, at, at the moment the eu ets just covers uh you know the power sector and you know industry has a very small you know they, they pay a, a small percentage of their their allowances but over the next several years that's going to get higher and higher and higher uh, because at the same time Europe is introducing a what's called a carbon border adjustment mechanism so now if you have to import say fertilizer or you know, steel or, or any other kind of very carbon intensive material into Europe uh, in the future you'll have to pay a uh, you know a border tax essentially which will be linked to the European carbon price uh, so what you could get is lots of companies trying to hedge that position by buying EU allowances in advance you know, because they know they're going to have to be, be, be purchasing you know potentially be paying the tax in the future so this could be a way of way of hedging that that future requirement so all of these you know, factors have kind of led to a an increased confidence that the EU carbon market become tighter and tighter over the next sort of several years. But then set, set against that, you know, every year there's going to be sort of bullish and bearish factors that affect you know, the more sort of shorter term outlook. And so in in Europe, we're probably going to have a like a, a rebound in nuclear output. Uh, in renewables, you know, sort of solar, wind, hydro, uh, and that could sort of squeeze out some of the the thermal coal generation, which had started to come in towards the back end of last year. And so, you know, coal generation, you know, highly carbon intensive. You know, if you do need to burn that, you know, utilities would need to buy carbon allowances to help you know, hedge that that carbon risk. Uh, but if we get this sort of growth in zero carbon generation, then that, then that, uh, you know, they don't need, they don't need to hedge that in the same way. So there's, you know, what I potentially see is some sort of, you know, bearish, uh, short, you know, shorter term outlook. You know, potentially as this, you know, these renewables, you know, increase, uh, increase capacity. And I think I think you alluded to, you know, the um, the market stability reserve. Uh, earlier on in your question, uh, yeah, it's it that's changed slightly from where it was you know, six months ago. Uh, so, for the for the benefit of listeners, the you know the market stability reserve is is a mechanism which you know every year it takes a set amount, a set proportion of the allowances in the market away, uh, locks them away so that uh, um, you know, it, it gradually tightens tightens the market, and and the fear you know, six months ago was that the you know, European politicians were going to mess with this mechanism and you know, release a lot of allowances, and that would yeah, you know, in some way sort of jeopardise the whole premise behind the European market. Uh, so what they've decided to do is actually instead of that, they're going to actually front load. Some of the auction allowances from later in the decade, so they're bringing, going to be bringing that forward. So that's kind of bringing forward supply 
and then auctioning it off in 2023. So that's another bearish factor for, for this year. Uh, but just because you brought it forward, that means there's less supply in the future. So it might be near term bearish, but longer term, it's, it's a bullish a bullish factor potentially. Yeah, the MSR is interesting. I kind of look, I look at it a little bit like the SPR in the States, Yeah, where it's sort of like, you know, you never know whether they're going to flood the market with new barrels out of the SPR, but it's a, it's a little bit different because with oil, they need to get that oil back. You know, they need to buy it back. Mm. And with the SMSR, instead of buying the oil back, you just know that if they put it into the market, they're not getting them back. You know, there's mm. no, there's no, there's no production of, of credits like there is with oil where that, you know, the producers ramp it up. So it's kind of different, but kind of a similar idea where yeah. politicians sort of control that price. And I just think it's a little bit interesting. Um, another thing you, you brought up uh, was with energy and nuclear and, and you know how emissions could potentially be going down in that direction with innovation. Mm -hmm. And I know in the compliance markets, it's based on an industry average. So, you know, Per megawatt, you, you get however many credits or, you know, for an industry standard. So coal gets charged the same as solar. So then those guys, they can make money because um, they're obviously lower emissions than coal. I wonder if there's some industries that you're looking at that could be, you know, right for innovation. Let's say, obviously, energy is one of them. If you can displace mm -hmm. coal with solar, you're probably going to be rewarded with carbon mm -hmm. credits. And I know that you've also mentioned the uh, like meat and dairy. Um, if you know somebody finds a new way to, you know, produce meat without as many emissions from their cows with a new feed or yeah. you know a diff different uh, you know fertilizers or whatever whatever they do. I just I wonder what industries you were looking at. Yeah, that's right. So I, you know, we've been talking about carbon prices. Uh, you know, almost like an asset, something to invest in and, you know, for it to go up in the future, or the hope that it will. But the whole, you know, the whole point of a carbon price is that it hoped, you know, you, you want it to incentivize action. You want to, it, to encourage companies to invest, you know, for consumers to take account of the carbon price in their, you know, everyday purchasing, purchasing decisions. So that that yeah, that's the, the, the point of the, the carbon price. Um, so yeah, so I've tried to you know, become increasingly interested in what you know what sectors are going to be affected by the carbon price. Where you know where you know, where where the opportunities in terms of you know innovation and investment to you know as people and industries start to take account of of a, of a you know, higher carbon price future. And uh, you know, one of those sectors, like you mentioned, is the you know the meat meat and dairy industry. You know, they um, you know they're one of the most uh, you know heavily emitting sectors in in the global economy. Uh, and then you know, it's not just about emissions; they you know, result in in lots of you know deforestation, you know, you know lots of other forms of uh, you know air and water pollution as well. And so what's, you know, there's lots of uh, innovations going on across the world. It, you know, some of you mentioned like 
uh, you know, reformulating you know, animal feed so that it, once um, you know, cattle consume it, it results in less less methane emissions. Uh, there's you know other uh, innovations such as um, you know things that you know, you know capture those emissions rather than you know actually them them being released and you know and almost you know encouraging incentivizing people to change their diets you know, potentially to uh, you know alternative proteins and I know yeah the sort of narrative around this tends to result in um you know things like you know uh, insects being grown as sort of protein as a you know alternative protein but i think the you know the potential growth markets are things like you know cultured meat um you know that, that's distinct from from plant-based meat but you know cultured meat where you know you you get these sort of big bioreactors and you know you're, you're taking a single cell from a from an animal and then you know, you're manufacturing, manufacturing, you know, meats and other other products on a on a massive scale, and uh, you know, I think I think that's quite an interesting yeah, area of growth potentially over the next over the next ten years. Uh, you know, it's very, very you know very much restricted at the moment based by you know regulations. You know, as it should be. You know, each the Europe, you know, Europe, other other countries, you know, have very strict rules on on new foods um being approved uh, so that that would be the obstacle but uh i think as you know as countries move in that direction you know the demand and then you know the supply of that those products are going to going to increase yeah i completely agree when i when i first started looking at carbon credits my thought was the largest emitters would have the most opportunity to capitalize because they're given the most credits so then you know therefore they can if they cut their emissions they'll have more credits left to sell was one thought but i think as i've progressed mm -hmm. through this i've also learned that those same emitters are also the, some of the hardest ones to reduce emissions in like for example um mining you know it's it's just really difficult mm -hmm. to mine anything without gigantic diesel engines yeah. digging up the dirt and you know trucking at different places and refining it and, and stuff like that um yeah. one thing I, I have looked at is uh <laughs> renewable natural gas which they you know they they capture from landfills and yeah. uh they they actually have in california they have like rin credits so they they have you know so much percentage of their natural gas has to be renewable natural gas yeah and um I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else that that you've looked at the similar sort of carbon credit, like the RIN credits, where the government can kind of amp up how much. It's almost like ethanol, you know, like how much how much they have to put into yeah. their, their product. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think there's anything comparable in in Europe. I I, I think I noticed this morning there was an article about uh, you know Goldman Sachs investing in a you know biogas you know investment mm -hmm. based in Europe. You know, I think it's, it's relatively small compared with the amount of investment that's going to be required over the next, you know, ten years. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's, you know, it's interesting how that's that's going because uh, you, like you said, you've got all this 
you know, gas from you know, from land landfills, you know, potentially also from um, you know agriculture as well. That's you know potentially could be you know captured, you know, and channeled into various you know either residential end uses or you know industrial uses as well. Um, and and again, that that kind of feeds into the the energy security narrative as well. You know, pivoting away from the actual fossil, fossil natural gas. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting because, yeah, I yeah. agree. I think the opportunity is to find those companies that are kind of innovating in those spaces that are that are carbon intensive. And it's a tough job because it's all very new technology. And you also yeah. have to think about all those political and macro factors that we discussed earlier. You know, is it going to matter in 20 years that these guys are carbon free or not? And it's just, you know, it's all part of the risk. <laughs> Um, before we, that is actually the next thing I was going to bring up was, this is a good segue. You have your book, um, the winning formula. So betting on F1 and I thought I would ask you if there's any lessons you learned from that in risk management that you carry over to kind of investing that, that you could learn from, from gambling and risk management and hedging that you might do in the investing world. And also some of the risks in in carbon and how you mm. might want to might want to hedge those yeah that's that's an interesting question um yeah i think you know whether it's investing or or betting or trading or anything that involves you know large degrees of uncertainty it's all about you know everyone thinks it's all about uh, you know finding an edge and you know exploiting it but uh, you know a lot of being able to survive in a lot in the long run is you know, about risk management and you know understanding you know the, the, the probability of what you're what you're betting on what you're trading in and you know asking yourself consistently whether that actually represents you know is there a you know, value there that you know isn't being captured by by the market or you know captured by the people and um, so i think you know that's that's a a, a lesson i try and you know, take when I'm you know looking at, at things from an investment point of view is you know who's on the other side of that that trade you know and why why is my insights not being reflected in the market or you know what other insights other people have which might suggest the price should be lower or higher than you know what I what I believe it should be. So I think that's that's probably a, a valuable lesson. And you know I think from a from a carbon perspective you know, carbon is a, you know, I think it's going to increasingly become a uh, a way for companies to, you know, risk manage their their portfolios, you know, whether that's their investment portfolio or their their production, you know, their operational portfolio. And so, you know, as these markets develop, what we want to see is, you know, you know, more confidence in, you know, if you're buying a certain allowance or, or credit, that's actually going to deliver what you expect it to do. And so people can have a, a reasonable expectation about, you know, what kind of impact they're they're having or or, or risk that they're trying to to manage. And so I think, you know, that you know that that's where things are going to go. It's become you know carbon is going to become a much more of a a risk management, you know, tool. Uh, across the economy 
Yeah, that's interesting. It's almost like crypto in some ways. People would say that you're sort of hedging against the dollar or gold yeah. or or whatever you want to say crypto yeah, is. Yeah. But it's like it's such a new asset that it took some time for people to understand it. But now you st- now you see certain companies are taking positions in crypto just more of a hedge than anything. They're not yeah. they're not necessarily betting that the price will go up. They just if their assets go down, they want to have something that might yeah. go up because it's sort of uncorrelated. Although there's, you know, arguments there that it is lots of people say Bitcoin's a tech stock because it's so correlated to the NASDAQ yeah. 100, but that's a whole nother, whole nother discussion. Um, the reason I, I brought up betting is I think it's interesting because when you're live betting, you can see the odds move. So, you know, here in North America, I'm Canadian, but I like to watch football. And you can see the the odds kind of shift for the over unders or or you know the spread the point spread, and um, you watch that in live time. And I've thought, oh, wouldn't that be interesting if you could see that with stocks? But I think that you can because mm-hmm. what you watch is valuations. So you know, depending on the valuation, it's almost like a live uh, feed, just like betting odds. Yeah, I guess the the difference is you're you're seeing the action in front of you and then the market, yeah, the betting market's trying to interpret that action, you know, live in front of you. So, you know, in theory, everyone's got the same, you know, access to that live feed. Uh, whereas I think with, you know, financial markets, you're, you're interpreting the, the price actions. You know, sometimes you don't have visibility over the economy or, you know, in fact, no one really has the full picture. You know, you're seeing a little snippet of it. Uh, based on your your mind, your know, media consumption might be quite different. You know, we're seeing different parts of the global economy. We talk to different people, and you know, markets are all about bringing those different opinions together and trading them against each other to try and find some element of of truth. Perhaps that's the the right way of looking at it as to where you know what's what's really happening in the world. Um, so I think that's possible. So why you get this you know, in the financial markets, you get this sort of, you know, big dislocations between people's hopes and dreams, or you know, on the flip side, the the despondency in the bear market, and you know what the actual you know real picture is, you know, in the real economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just like gambling, it's you know probabilities. You know, yeah. if you can, if as you say, use your risk management to your advantage and and find the right most probable outcomes like we say with carbon it's it's probably most likely that it's still going to be here in 10 years i think that politicians have sort of put their foot down and decided that this is the path they want to go and i think it's going to be really hard given the mechanisms they've put into to shift that sentiment um just before i let you go what do you think about that do you think that the politicians could back off this or do you think that this is kind of just the way forward, regardless. Well, I, I think I think that it all comes down to you know sort of commitment. So individual countries like the UK uh, and and, and uh, you know, several others as well have actually you know, committed to net zero in law. You know, so there's you know a legal obligation on the, the politicians on the, the government to actually you know to move forward with you know, the agenda, the commitment set out in those, in those, those laws. 
and you know it's not just individual countries you know whole you know the UN you know global um, you know group, groups of countries have come together to you know set set out their their vision for the future uh, and that's only accelerated over the last you know certainly since 2015 but you know, you know certainly um, over the last few years as well uh, so you know there's always going to be these uh, you know changes in narratives you know in sentiment over time you know whether that's due to a you know an energy crisis you know geopolitical risk you know a financial crisis uh, you know those are always going to you know buffet that or make people question that uh, that commitment but I think you know these issues you know the real impacts of climate change are becoming you know more and more evident to you know people all around the world that you know if governments were suddenly to you know, say you know or sort of gradually sort of sweep it under the carpet and you know and, and quietly drop it then I think there would be you know there'd be an uproar you know eventually as to you know why aren't you actually doing anything about this yeah for sure and climate change is one of those things that you know there's obviously opinions everywhere and everybody has yeah. their own ideas and for me like I'm not a scientist I don't know what's going on with the climate all I want to do is figure out where the money's going to flow. So, you mm -hmm. know, if it, if it's going to be into carbon free net zero, then, you know, that's the place that I want to invest. And yeah. if the energy grid is going to remain fossil fuel intensive for longer than people think, then I'm probably going to invest there too. And it's, yeah. and it's, you know, for me, it's not political. I just, I love, I want to try to find the best investments for my earned dollars. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you need to keep a, you know, to put your own personal, you know, uh, preferences or, you know, philosophical ideals of what their politics or, you know, the, the economy should look like. And it's, you know, it's about, as you said, it's about, you know, interpreting where, where things are going to be in the future, not how you'd like, like them to be necessarily. Yeah. And I think that's really difficult sometimes mm. for, for yeah. investors, because, you know, there, there are ways, like if, if you, um, some people might prefer to put their money in what they believe in and, you know, from a moral standpoint, and I do to some degree, but it's just whatever line you're willing to cross. And, you know, if, yeah. depending on how far you want to dig, you can find issues anywhere. So it is what yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's, as you said, that's all personal. It's up to in your individual preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, on that note, I think that this has been a great discussion. I wonder, I could just like to give you the opportunity to share where people can find your content. And but yeah, uh, no, thank, well, thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, if people want to get in contact, uh, you can see my writing on Substack and it's uh, Carbon Risk is my, my, my newsletter there. Uh, also, um, well, perhaps I'm less active than I used to be, but uh, you know, certainly on Twitter at uh, Peter Sainsbury 7. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's always a great discussion. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks very much. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice.